Hi folks, Jean here and welcome to this week's episode of Have You Ever Read? Now I know I said we're going to be doing this monthly, but I think I'm going to try and give weekly a shot. Please keep me in your prayers as I'm only a one-man band at the moment, or should I say a one-woman band, but let's see what the Lord will do. Let's get stuck into today's episode. Today I'm speaking to my friend Dr Heather Major. Heather and I met at the University of Edinburgh whilst we were both reading our master's degrees in biblical studies. Heather then went on to gain her PhD from the University of Glasgow. In marketing terms, I probably should have led with the fact that I have two degrees in theology in the trailer for this podcast. I'm sure the marketers would say it adds to my credibility. Well, at least you know now. Before we spoke about Heather's book of choice, we spoke about studying theology at academic institutions and the idea that theology is not spiritual. Heather also spoke a bit about her faith story and her experiences at churches of different denominations. Her book of choice this week is the classic C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity. If you haven't already read it, you really don't know what you're missing. This book is absolutely fantastic, as I'm sure you will hear shortly. As with previous episodes, this was recorded towards the end of 2021, just before Heather submitted her PhD thesis. But I think the content is still great, and this is probably my favourite episode so far. Well, that is until the next one. I hope you agree as you listen to Have You Ever Read Mere Christianity with my friend, Dr. Heather Major. Um, So Heather, do you want to tell everybody how I know you and where we met? Sure. Uh, Well, we met in Edinburgh, uh, working on our master's degrees at New College. uh, So Master of Theology and uh, specifically in Biblical Studies. Uh, So I was doing uh, Hebrew Bible. Old Testament uh, and that was that was where we started we started off in in Hebrew classes and 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 then went oh dear where are we going why are we here yeah but then you stuck around it right so um, what are you doing these days yeah well I stuck I certainly stuck around in uh, in academia although I I made an interesting shift um, going from hardcore biblical studies to uh, practical theology for my uh, PhD. So I did a PhD, or I'm, I suppose, technically finishing editing my PhD in practical theology, rural church and mission uh, with the University of Glasgow. Okay, so you said quite a lot there. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean <laughs> by biblical studies, because I, I've done theology, I have two theology degrees. Um, but to the layperson, what actually is practical theology? What is biblical studies? Like, what, what, what does that actually mean? Sure. Okay. Um, So when we're talking about biblical studies, generally speaking, we're talking about looking at the text. Um, So looking at the text in Hebrew or in Greek and doing a lot of book work. Um, So there's a lot of digging down into how the manuscripts came to be, um, how we translate them from the original languages, so from Hebrew or Greek, and translating them into English. And there's a lot of discussion that happens in the background about um, historical context, about the the writing just in general, uh, and about the transmission and interpretation of those texts. So that tends to be the sort of biblical studies aspect, uh, at least within the field of academia. Practical theology is at least the way that I interpret it and the way that I have approached it in my own studies uh, is where the sort of rubber hits the road. Um, So it's thinking about 
how do I apply theology in a local context, be that in a ministry context or within mission? Um, and how do I actually learn from the practical side of engaging with people? How does that influence my theology? Or by theology, I'm talking about the way that I think about God or the way that I talk about God. Um, so for me, the making the shift from from the field of biblical studies into the field of practical theology was a fairly natural one because I've always wanted to bring those two things together and keep those two things together so that engaging in ministry or engaging in theology, talking about God, um, engaging in that is grounded in my understanding of the Bible, um, but that it also helps me read the Bible. So it helps me to stop and to think about what assumptions I'm bringing into the text. Um, so whether or not it's the, the Bible story version, so the, the sort of Sunday school version, and did I actually forget to read the story as it appears? Uh, or, you know, whether or not my understanding of, um, for example, my understanding of relationships between men and women, which has certainly matured as I've matured, how does that help me read the text um, and relationships between men and women now that I know a lot more about the historical context, um, but I also know more about my current lived context and, yeah. and you know, the challenges that face um, the challenges that face people in marriages and in families um, and what's hard about that and what's easy about that and, and how does that interact with what the Bible says about um, about marriage or what the Bible says about relationships and raising children and so on. Okay, I do have a few questions, but I want to go to another part first before I go back to sure. that. Um, yeah. So you spoke about how um, your studies influence your your walk with Christ today but what is your journey to Christ I mean how did you become saved and what um Christian tradition or denomination are you currently in <laughs> oh this is a good fun one okay um so I started off uh I'm a child of the manse so uh pastor's kid and my I grew up in Canada I should specify that I was born and grew up in Canada and my dad was even a though you don't sound like it I know I don't sound like it. <laughs> it. It creates some very interesting conversations, I have to admit. Um, but my dad was a minister in the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, uh, which is Presbyterian in governance, um, but originated from the holiness movement. So the Nazarene Church and the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church are quite closely related. They came from the same sort of origins in, in um, the Eastern United States. And um, ties to Scottish Presbyterianism, ironically, you know, that's kind of the, the roots there. Uh, in terms of my own walk, then from there, uh, I was about five years old when I decided that I wanted to live my life Jesus way and um, just had started a, a very kind of childlike faith uh, and saying, you know, I want to live according to, to Jesus guidelines and, and that's where I'm going to be. And then, of course, had some some rockiness in my teenage years. <laughs> and uh but during that kind of growing up period, we were involved in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, but we were also involved with the Vineyard Church, but we were also involved with, um, you know, 
women alive and women aglow. And uh, so having charismatic, um, charismatic Pentecostal involvement at the same time as having the sort of Presbyterian involvement. So it was a bit of a mishmash there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I left home and moved to Calgary, I got involved with the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada. And then when I first moved to Scotland, I joined a Baptist church. Okay. Then I was in the Baptist church for ages. Uh, and then I did my field work for my PhD within the Church of Scotland, which again is Presbyterian. And I'm currently attending um, a free church, which is Presbyterian in its origins. And so that goes back to uh, the disruption in the 18... I'm going to get this wrong and this is going to get me into trouble. Uh, 1843, I think. Um, and so, yeah, the, the sort of roots of Scottish Presbyterianism, that's, that's where I am just now. Okay. But with, um, with fairly distinctive, uh, fairly distinctive uh, leanings towards saying, I don't care what denomination it is, yep. provided that, god is there yeah that this this makes that makes perfect sense to me in fact in that's one of the points that um the author makes in the book that we're going to discuss but i'll probably bring that Uh up later um so just on that right so you've come from a a a non-anglican catholic tradition right Uh where um uh, just to know guys we will get to the book but i just want to ask kevin (laughs) these questions because she's doing a phd in theology um you come from a non-traditional um, background in terms of Christ- your Christian um, Christianity. Yeah. How does that marry with your wanting to study theology? So um, a lot of the time, the pushback people get from charismatic Baptist, Methodist backgrounds and any other usually non-Orthodox ca- Anglican or Catholic background is academic um, study of the Bible is not spiritual. What would you say to um, people who say that and um, or perhaps Christians who are considering academic study but um, have this objection or this question? They're worried that they may lose their faith. What would you say to people like that? Or how did you overcome that issue if you had it? Yeah, I think um, the best way for me to to speak to that one is from my personal experience. Um, and from my personal experience, approaching theology and particularly the formal study of theology was something that I said this feels like the right thing to do I feel like God is is leading this way this is a way of of being better equipped in my own faith but specifically better equipped to engage in mission or engage in ministry and speaking to other people about my faith because there are questions and I'm going to be faced with questions how can I best be equipped to respond to those questions and the challenge of formally studying theology is that it has a tendency to make you question your preconceptions yeah so if you have preconceived ideas or things that you hold to quite strongly you might have to you might have to go through a period of breaking, a period of of kind of having to recognize that maybe that's the interpretation you've grown up with, but is that actually what the Bible says? Yeah, is that yeah. actually what the Bible teaches? And um, formally studying theology gives you an opportunity to engage with voices that you might not otherwise hear. Um, so 
listening to listening to people who see the Bible differently or who read the Bible differently. And yes, it can be a challenge. Um, there are times when it can be a challenge, particularly if uh, if you happen to be studying theology in a university uh, or in a in a faculty where you have non-Christians or atheists even who are teaching uh, aspects of theology, which has always puzzled me, um, really has. Um, but the other side of it is that it's there is a challenge um, where it can become very easy when you're writing papers and when you're researching papers to see the Bible as another textbook. Yeah. Um, and I was very intentional about recognizing that as a potential problem. I was very fortunate in that when I was studying, I was studying within a, um, when I first started studying anyway, studying within a uh, confessing Christian context um, so the uh, the strapline of Highland Theological College is a community of faith and scholarship and so worship was built into uh, part of, of how we engaged with uh, our studies so we would we would pray at the beginning of class you know that kind of thing we were still challenged to engage critically and to think very critically and and write well and articulate ourselves well but there was an underpinning of prayer. Um, but even there, you know, it was it was really easy. And I had to start, I had to stop myself on numerous occasions going, I'm not reading the Bible just because I have paper to write about the Bible. Yeah. I'm reading the Bible because I need to. And um one of the biggest things that I can encourage other people who would be considering uh, theological study is it will absolutely make your faith richer because you will be able to engage with some of those questions. Yeah, I would agree. But you must be connected with a good supportive community. I agree. So um, to some of the points that you said, so one of the things that I did when I was choosing places that I would study my degrees was to check, okay, what is the, um, the background to the school? I decided to only apply to places where the theology school had a heavy tradition, Christian tradition. And so, of course, there would be um, lecturers and modules which go against what I believed. But I didn't want to take a route that was which saw Christianity as, in a sense, equal to all other religions. A lot of the place, actually, every place that I applied to, well, no. I did apply to a few others. And then when I went to the open days, I saw that actually this is not it. Um, some places take theology, take a religious studies view to theology, mm -hmm. which I think is where people get challenged a lot in terms of their faith or um, theology is taught as philosophy, which again is a bit challenging in the wrong way. I would think I would say. Um, so I took, I took a, um, a stance and view that I would study at a place where the foundations of the theology school, okay, was this is the word of God. Um, that was the first point. And then to your point about how did I overcome the fact that we had to read the Bible every day and then it didn't just become like any other book, was I actually used different Bibles for different things. So we, um, as Heather would tell you, um, we use the New Revised Standard version I don't know if it's still the case nowadays because I went to university a, a while ago um, <laughs> for um, academic study. So I would use maybe King James or 
New Living Translation for my own personal Bible study and that helped me to kind of separate the two okay um so we better start talking about the book right (laughs) (laughs) yes i suppose Hmm, um yeah so um what book did you um choose for us today and why Uh, it actually works quite well with our conversation um because the book that i've chosen is mere christianity uh by c.s lewis and um you know a big part of the reason why i chose it is because it's a book that kind of filters through some of the uh, denominational challenges and some of the um, some of the things about kind of specific interpretations or specific doctrines, and tries to get at what C.S. Lewis refers to as mere Christianity. Yeah. What's what's the core? What's the guts? Um, what do we all agree on? What do we all agree on? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, what do we all agree on? And and how does that how does that open the way for people to understand what Christianity is and what Christianity is about? Okay, cool. Um, you know, when you said that you wanted to do this book, I was so happy um, because this book actually exemplifies exactly why I wanted to start this podcast. It, I mean, like you're saying, it it cuts across all denominations. It ignores all of that. And C.S. Lewis basically says any discussion on the differences between denominations is for Christians to have in quiet, separate from the rest of the world. Um, and that our main discussions in public should be about convincing the non-Christians about the fundamentals of Christianity. And um, I think all too too often we um, magnify the differences and it prevents us from talking to each other. I mean, apart from you, I don't think I have anyone or know anyone who's Presbyterian Christian, which is a shame because I'm sure there's so much I can learn from Presbyterian Christians. And um, so, yeah, this this book actually solves, I mean, fits nicely into, <laughs> into this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> so what would you say um, is your major, was your major takeaway from, from this book? I think probably my, my biggest takeaway um, in it is that Lewis repeatedly um repeatedly talks about pursuing Christ and that it should be Christ first uh, trying to look for contentment or trying to look for peace or you know what's your purpose in life or or any of those kinds of things is um uh, I think one of the phrases and I wish I'd actually noted it because it was a great quote um is that it it all becomes just soft soap yeah you know, it's just soft soap. It just disappears, um, you know, but, and he finishes off the book this way, which I love. Um, and it kind of counters a lot of the narrative that we get in popular culture, which mm. is this idea of being true to yourself and, you know, be true to yourself and live your best life and all of those kinds of things. And, um, and he finishes off the book with these, with these two sentences that goes, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred loneliness despair rage ruin and decay look for christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in yeah and that's where he stops the book and you're like yeah actually that's yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay moving on (laughs) yeah yeah that that does feel free like it really comes across throughout the book that everything else is ultimately a distraction and that Christ should be the one that we are ultimately focused on. 
mm-hmm. I would say for me that my major takeaway was actually that many arguments against Christianity have no basis. And that if they're actually interrogated with the same logic and reasoning of the argument, it actually comes to nothing. And I also, as I was reading, preparing for this um, podcast, I was more convinced than ever that actually 90% of all my problems are found in a book. And a lot of the time, (laughs) the answer to my problems, I should say, is found (laughs) in a book. And I said that to myself because in Britain, um, I'm sure many um, Christians have struggled to witness to um, Anglo-Saxon British people because mm-hmm. they've come up against arguments about the existence of God, free will, et cetera, et cetera. But here's a book that actually, because the, the author himself is Anglo-Saxon and he himself was an atheist, he goes step by step and overcomes each and every one of these um, uh-huh. questions. And uh-huh. he does it reasonably like he does it in such a way that I was reminded of when Paul said that he became to the Jews he became a Jew um, so that he could win some and I think that for many of us who have struggled to witness to people I'm gonna, it's weird to call them indigenous <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah but yeah. <laughs> many of us have struggled to witness to people irrespective of our own color like literally I know of British Christians who struggle to speak to their friends about Christianity. Honestly, this book, I feel, answers, if you are able to understand the arguments and make them your own, I think it's a good tool for evangelism. That that was my major takeaway from the book. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the massive benefits of the book is that it originated in talks that he gave on the radio. Yeah. Like he he had this opportunity, this incredible opportunity to be talking about Christianity in 1942, 1943, 1944 on the radio, being publicly broadcast during an incredibly difficult time in history and providing a way that kind of gets through all the jargon and just goes straight to what is Christianity about? what are the challenges that are facing humanity? Well, let's deal with some of the challenges that are facing humanity and why, why Christianity responds to that. You know, why Christianity is the answer, why Christ specifically is the answer rather than being you know, um, necessarily which denomination. And he goes into such depth over, over basically sitting there going, I'm not here to try and tell you which church to join. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> If, if, if you decide that you want to be a Roman Catholic, be a Roman Catholic. If you want to be Orthodox, be Orthodox. If you want to be a Methodist, be Methodist. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. Yeah. And he has a brilliant analogy on that. I he uses, love that. He uses a house um, and he says that you're in a corridor when you first get saved. And the question isn't about um, being in the house. The question is which room you're going to be on. So you knock on each door. And if the door that is opened, you like it. Uh, well he gives a bit more detail about what it means to like (laughs) then that is the that's the room that you should be in but we shouldn't get caught up in being in the room which room we're in because we're actually in the house which is the body of Christ I mean it's a really yeah really good analogy well and I think one of the other things about it which is um which is great is something that I have found in my own life 
in that there are different seasons where I happen to be involved in different types of churches. Um, there's a common thread within those churches, which is the Bible is the word of God yep. and Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. Like that's, that's the common thread. And I have found that, you know, be that being involved with uh, an Anglican or an Episcopalian church. I found that with going on, you know, going on retreats in, um, uh, there's a, a Roman Catholic Abbey that's up in, in Mauritius and, um, and, you know, went and spent, you know, a week. It's still an active, it's still an active community. And, you know, you could go and you could be part of all of the offices. And it was just a place of being able to say, where is the sacred? Mm. Have I left space to actually listen to the voice of God? And that, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me whether I'm speaking to my friends who are Roman Catholic Christians or whether I'm speaking to my friends who are Anglican Christians. Um, because there are things that we can agree about. Yes, yeah, agreed. And that, that gives us a core for our friendship that transcends whether or not we happen to be on opposite sides of the football pitch. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Um, so just to describe the structure of the book. So like you said, um, it came out of some talks that he was um, given on the radio. I think it was BBC Radio just after the war. I think they were looking for um, wasting courage um, society after the war. And he was asked to um, explain or discuss what it is that Christian Britain believes in uh -huh. and that that was the form of these talks. And then he's um, put this book together, which is which he's he goes at um, in the preface. He goes into detail about how he converted it from spoken word to written um, yeah. text. <laughs> I love I love that moment because it's so true. You know, how do you take the spoken word? And then try and, and put it on a written page. And then he's going on about, you know, yeah, I've come to the conclusion that I really should have just written it, you know, properly rather, yeah. than, <laughs> just, rather than trying to copy all of the conventions that I used in speech. And it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are certain things that, that have made me stop and think about my own writing from time to time. <laughs> Same. Um, and then it's divided into four different books. And um, each book basically takes the journey of Christianity. So the first book talks about um, what it is that makes us think that there might be a creator out there before he even gets to Christianity. The second book is about what Christian book believe. Sorry, what Christians believe. The third bit is about um, book is about Christian behavior, and then the final book is about the doctrine of um, the Trinity. Yeah. Um. So that's just the overview of the book. So. Off the back of that, Heather, what would you say has been was your favourite chapter and why? I think right the way through, there are there are pieces that I absolutely love, but one of my favourite one of my favourite chapters I I have a lot of favourite chapters, but one of my favourite chapters is um, is the the kind of <laughs> chapter that he titles the practical conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you want to give us some more information about what um, that chapter is about and why? Sure. Um, so it's kind of, it's uh, about the midpoint of the book. And it basically, like you were saying, the, the first book or the first section um, is, is going into the whole bit of, you know, this is, 
what we see in the universe, um, you know, looking at right and wrong, looking at laws of human nature, uh, addressing the objections, um, and you know, kind of, kind of addressing the fact that we should be uneasy about things that are happening in the universe that are well beyond our control. <laughs> um, and then going into you know what Christians believe, and you know he's offering all of this kind of background of here's the basic here's the basic background of, of what Christians believe, and then he kind of goes into okay, so now that we've talked about all of the issues, now that we've talked all of the problems, um, you know I think maybe we should recognise that there is an opportunity for new life, that this comes from Christ, um, you know. The, the phrasing, I quite like this, um, the phrasing about people often ask what the next step in, when the next step in evolution, the step to something beyond man will happen. But in the Christian view, it's happened already. In Christ, a new kind of man appeared and a new kind of life which began in him is to be put into us. And, um, you know, this whole idea of advancement of man, you know, we're talking about what's the next step? How do we, how do we go from here? And then to be able to sit there and go, actually, yeah, God's already got that sorted. Um, you know, the practical conclusion is good is not up to me. You know, new life is not up to me. This is Christ in me. That's where the hope comes from. Um, you know, God's not going to love me because I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't be good. Like yeah. we, we've already talked about this. There are, we have problems. We have issues, um, but God will make us good because He loves us, because yeah. He lives in us. Yeah. You know, this is this is the logic that we're talking about. This isn't just about trying to think like Christ or copy Christ. This is about saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to live the Christ or the life that Christ has put in me." Yeah, um, and to be equipped in that, and that if that's the case if that's the motivation then everything that I do is going to be affected by that yeah and so um it's the hinge point I find it to be the hinge point in the whole book being able to sit there and go okay we've talked about what's happening in the world now before we talk about you know Christian behavior before we talk about the doctrine of the trinity or anything like that let's come to the point where we recognize that as human beings we can't do this on our own yeah we can't fix it on our own. Um, you know, God has a plan and purpose for the world. What is our conclusion? Are we going to be with him or against him? Mm. Because there's no middle ground. Like yeah. we, just, we don't have a middle ground. That's not an option. Um, so, yes, there we are. Yeah, I think you said something um, about the love of God that is something I've been reflecting on during this whole pandemic. I mean, one of the things that really, I was really... Um, I don't want to say shocked by, but it, <laughs> I actually came to the realization of that. Actually, um, God doesn't need us to do anything. His church <laughs> was continuing to grow despite the fact that everything was shut down. And I also had this other revelation or perspective that actually, or I don't want to say a revelation because I've always known it. I mean, I think it's something that we except when we commit ourselves to Christ right that God loves us mm -hmm. but then after we accept that we and we know that the we there aren't any works that we can do to earn his love it's basically by our belief 
But then when we become saved, we have this kind of attitude that I need to do things. I need to do things. And I think we tend to forget that actually um, there is nothing that I can do today that will make God love me any more than he did on the day I gave my life to Christ or on the day that I die. The love is consistent. But often I think we forget that. Um, And we tend to just think of John 3.16 as something that we say to people when we're going on outreach for them to give their life to Christ, but that actually the whole of Christianity is underpinned and we stand on the fact that actually God loves us and it's mm-hmm. out of that love that we're able to do anything more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally agree with your point. Um, there's, um, there's actually a great line in the chapter and I, I just find it, which is great um, because it actually speaks to that. And it's this, um, you know, basically he's talking about um you can't fix it on your own kind of thing um and a live body is not one that never gets hurt but one that can to some extent repair itself in the same way a christian is not a man who never goes wrong but a man who is enabled to repent pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time, enabling him to repeat in some degree the kind of voluntary death which Christ himself carried out. Brilliant. Like, Brilliant. I love that, that, you know, it's not based on whether or not I get everything right all the time. Mm-mm-mm. Christianity is not about have I got everything right? Yeah. Because I'm going to go wrong. Yeah. We've, you know, we've spent the first half of the book talking about right and wrong and you know, the knowledge of right and wrong and, and how um, how humans repeatedly get that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> we repeatedly mess up. But we have the, the freedom to be able to say, okay, I can repent and know that, know that Christ's love is constant and know that I can kind of pick up and move on from there. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. So what would you say um, as you read the book, uh-huh. was most challenging for you um maybe something that you felt um I don't agree with that or um even if you do agree with it yeah I'm not changing that for my life it's fine <laughs> I can just wait until Christ comes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean I think um I think one of the things that that gets me from time to time is that you sit there and you're like right okay and it's the language it's some of the choices of language that Lewis has um where you kind of sit there and think um I think you might reword that slightly differently in (laughs) the 21st century maybe a little bit (laughs) (laughs) um but I think generally speaking the thing that I find most challenging with reading it um is how easy I get distracted by all of the other stuff in life. Yeah. And reading it helps me kind of go, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. I really am overcomplicating things. Right. You know, I kind of, sometimes I do need to reread it and and go back to it and go, that's right. Okay. Yep. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting, particularly rereading it, now so I I, maybe I should back this up for a second I first read this book when I was I think 20 uh so (laughs) that's only 
16 years ago, it's fine. Um, <laughs> don't have to think too hard about that one. Yikes. Um, but when I first read it at 20, I didn't have enough life experience to really recognize a lot of the challenges and a lot of the, the uh, temptations <laughs> that I faced in life yeah. and the, the way that I could respond. And I didn't really have enough life experience of engaging with other people who didn't have some sort of Christian background. I spent most of my time, most of my spare time was involved in church activities. So I wasn't engaging with people who didn't already have a Christian worldview. Right. So when I first read the book, I read through it going, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Next, yeah. moving on. Um, you know, it was great because it kind of, it helped solidify um, solidify a lot of the things that I hadn't quite articulated yet but I hadn't really put it to put it into the context of life yeah rereading it um, it kind of reminded me that actually things don't change that much mm -hmm. <laughs> the challenges that Lewis is talking about are the same challenges that we're facing yeah so when he's talking about um when he's talking about some of the moral complexities of life, uh, the moral questions and, you know, how, um, just thinking in the, there's a chapter on morality. and Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. 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 Morality is like analysis chapter. And there are things that you, you kind of get into and he's looking at it and using examples from war because, war was there every day you know so the psychology of that and, and things but you know he actually speaks to something that I hadn't really thought about which is you know somebody who seems to be quite a nice person who's had a good background and a good foundation and a really good upbringing may actually be a terrible person mm. they've just had you know a good upbringing, a, a good yeah. upbringing. whereas somebody else who has come from a terrible background if they you know and i'm not sure that this is actually one of the examples but you know if they decide to to give food to a stray dog they might actually be doing something better because yeah because of their background i think he brings this background. up when he's talking about um the argument that if christianity is true then why is it that uh, you can find a good christian a bad christian and a good non-christian and yeah. he's making the point yeah, yeah. that actually some of these things aren't really to do with the christianity they're more to do with the upbringing of the person yeah. and then he makes the point that actually christ came into the world for sinners so if you have a bad christian well that's exactly what you should expect and then he also makes the point that god measures people based on where they're coming from as well mm -hmm. so um we, you may think that Sally, for example, is a bad Christian because she shouted at you last week. But if Shelley used to fight people on the, in the street whenever she was angry, then the fact that she shouted at you instead of punched you in the face is actually progress. Exactly. And actually on that, um, I think one of, the, one of the things that I find really challenging um, and I actually find it really useful is the discussion that he has fairly early on um, Actually, it might even be in the preface where he talks about the word Christian. Yes. That, oh, that was wonderful. 
oh I love God, it. That was wonderful. I love it. So for for anybody who hasn't read oh, the book, that was wonderful. Um, for anybody who hasn't read the book, one of the things that um, uh, one of the things that he talks about. Actually, it may be. I'm going to see whether I've got it. Yeah, he defines um, the word Christian, and he says um, a lot of people make this comment and um, whilst Heather's looking for it I'll kind of yeah. paraphrase um, a lot of people make the comment that who are you to judge who is a good Christian or bad Christian because a person may have the spirit of Christ um, more than someone who's calling themselves Christian and but then his point is that yes that is fantastic to say very moral very reasoned but actually it doesn't tell us anything useful if uh-huh. we're saying that a we we must define nobody can I correctly correctly identify somebody as Christian then what exactly are we talking about language has to have meaning and so Uh his point is that we have to define Christianity as the bible defines it as not by some airy fairy spiritual view but actually a Christian needs to be defined as somebody who has submitted themselves to the discipleship of Christ as the original apostles did and then he makes the point that if somebody tells you that they're a Christian but they're not living their lives as though they're following a disciple, the, the, the Christ as the disciples did, then the best thing is to call them a bad Christian only so we have something to describe rather than any judgment. Because of course, he says categorically, we don't have the right to judge anybody. But in order for us to have meaningful language, we need to def- use words to define what we see. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the parallel that he uses. Um, I did find it. It is in the preface. Um, but... Uh, you know where he comes through and he's going we have watered down the term christian to mean somebody who's acting nicely you know somebody who's acting well oh yes they're they're oh yes they're behaving very it's a very christian way of behaving like that that tells you nothing about whether or not that person holds to the doctrines of christianity yeah that just tells you that they're a good person um and so the term Christian actually loses its value. And the parallel that he uses is the term gentleman. Yeah. And it was that that moment of kind of sitting there going, yeah, it's true, actually. Yeah. You know, gentleman used to mean somebody who was had a coat of arms, had landed property. They were of a particular social status. That was a gentleman. So they could be a gentleman and a terrible person. Mm. And still be a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, but that told you where they were in society, that told you about their status. So they could be, they could be an awful person. Fine. But then you had people that start saying, oh, well, surely we can apply that to, to being people that embody what we think of when we think of the term gentleman, you know, somebody who's nice and somebody who's following all the rules and, and behaving well and, and so on. <laughs> great but that actually doesn't tell us anything yeah. and now we have status. no and now we have no term for the people who have who used to have um land and had a coat of arms because gentleman now has a different meaning from what it once yeah. meant yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I love that because I think that's really important you know we've got all of these people who interpret Christianity based on the people that they know mm. based on the people that they've met or you know they say so-and-so, so-and-so is a Christian because they do this, 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 and this. And 
then when they do something that doesn't follow what this person thinks a Christian should do, then they think that Christianity is rubbish rather than going, actually, no, the person is a human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to go back to a few things that actually challenged sure. me, right? So it was a lot, actually, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a chapter about um, charity. Yes. That was very interesting because he spoke about what it means to give. And I had never seen giving in this light. Um, what he says um, is in order for w- w- the way that we should know that we're giving enough is that our giving costs us something. And yes. by cost, he means there should be things that I cannot do because I'm giving. So mm-hmm. if at the end of the month, I'm still able to go to the cinema. I'm still able he uses luxuries. He says luxury. So let me just use cinema or I can go to Fort Park or I can go on holiday but I'm not able to give as much then there's a problem mm-hmm. I I should know that I'm giving well when I'm not able to do certain things and I had never thought about giving in that respect I'd always thought that okay if I'm giving money to something um it's fine I'm giving I, I give but actually there's supposed to be a cost to my giving um yeah which yeah. I found to be quite a deep challenge, actually. I, I, I'm not even sure <laughs> if and when I'm going to Yep. <laughs> I, I think I'd have to agree with you on that one because that's something we don't, we don't talk about anymore. Um, and I, I can't remember whether he actually... Does he actually mention it in the chapter? Um, he certainly does when he's talking about... Uh, when he's talking about tithing or he's talking about giving, when he's writing in the likes of the screw tape letters and, and so on, you know, where um, where you have the uh, uh, wormwood and uh, wormwood and screw tape and, you know, the the uncle demon who's trying to tell the nephew demon how to tempt this this Christian or how to tempt this person and um, makes a comment about the, you know, they talk about all of these airy fairy things. They don't talk about the practical stuff, like yeah. actually giving. Yeah. You know, so where are you going to put your money? Does your does your money go where your mouth is? And yeah, that one's that one's hard. Um, yeah. The it's it's hard when he talks about forgiveness, um, and he start talking about you know pride, pride, yeah, pride, yeah, sin. Wow. Okay. You know, you read the chapter and you you look at the title and you're like the great sin and you're thinking, okay, the great sin. You know, um, your good theology hat goes on and you're like cursing cursing the Holy Spirit or mm. you know blaspheming the Spirit. Clearly, that's the great sin. And he comes through. He's like, yeah, no, nope. Pride and self conceit seems like that's the biggest. This is yeah. the biggest thing. And you read through the chapter. Or I read through the chapter and I stop there. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, actually, when you think about it, that I can see why that is what he refers to as the center of Christian morals, is challenging you to not put yourself at the center. Yeah. And it gives some good ways to um, identify when you're proud. So, again, very challenging to me. So I think he says that pride is always competitive. Uh So it's not about how much you want. It's the fact that you have less than someone else. So, and he says that this is why people want to get richer and have bigger houses because they're feeding their pride. And then he also says, um, um, so the, the, the test, the test there is that 
how competitive are you when it <laughs> comes to what you have? Um, do you have to be the very best or do you feel um, downtrodden when there's someone around you who has more of the same thing than you? And then the other test he gives is if when you're doing your religious activities, I think he says, leading your religious life, yes. you feel <laughs> that you're good or better than someone else, then he says there is no chance that you're being acted upon by God. It's likely that it's the devil. And he said the true response in the presence of God is either that you think you're worthless mm -hmm. or that you don't think of yourself at all. So if you find yourself in the presence of God, presence of God thinking, oh, let's, I mean, a very practical example might be at church, right? When you're worshiping and you're thinking about your voice, how it sounds compared mm -hmm. to someone else's voice mm -hmm. at that moment is pride actually in the presence of God you're either supposed to be thinking about his greatness or how bad you are and mm -hmm. he said of course the best of the two would be to think um of how great God is so yeah that was another really yeah, yeah. challenging and I mean that one um there's there's a great line and actually I think it's it's really appropriate it's you know one of those ones that you kind of you write out and stick up on a sticky note uh which is for pride is spiritual cancer it eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And you're like, yes, absolutely it does. You, you just have to look at the, the state of the world that we're living in right now and the kind of self-centered pride of, I don't want to have to do this thing because mm. it impinges somehow on the way that I want to live my life. <laughs> Oh, that's uncomfortable. That's really uncomfortable. Common sense just goes right out the window as soon as I start thinking that this might affect me. It might affect, you know, the way that I have to live my life. And, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, we can go on talking about this forever because there are quite a few good quotes in this book. Um, I mean, I really would encourage anyone who hasn't read it to, to pick it up. I mean, because, mm -hmm. I mean, even... And it's very practical as well. So another thing that he talks about in the charity chapter is this problem that we all have, right? We read the, the verse of scripture that says, well, Christ said that the first commandment, the greatest commandment is to love God. And then the next is to love um, your neighbor, right? Yep. And many of us sit down thinking, what does that mean? And he said, look, let's stop this game of do I really love God? Do I really love my neighbors? He said, no, that's the mistake. The, the, the real solution to that problem is just to act as though you would. And by act, I don't mean pretend. I mean, you ask yourself, okay, if I really did love God, what would be the things I would be doing to show that I love God? Mm -hmm. And when you have those in your mind and you know what they are, you should just do them um, yeah. so that we move away from this guessing game and inward introspective look. I was going to say on ourselves, but that's almost like the same thing, right? <laughs> but <laughs> it is kind of because it's 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 moving away from thinking about what I can do better or you know how I can be more Christian, yeah. Rather than rather than going, I just need to do it. How how do I be God's hands and feet today? Yeah, you know what does it look like for me to be God's hands and feet today? and be motivated by his love for the world um yeah yeah, yeah. and, it, and I, I, it, actually that's that's one of the the ones that i think is um is really interesting you know when we're when we're looking at some of the um some of the challenges i think 
that mere Christianity brings out, you know, you've got the, he's got two chapters on faith. Yeah. Yeah. He's got two chapters on faith and is it only two? Yes, two. Yeah, and one hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a moment there where I suddenly thought, "Oh no, wait!" I know he breaks one of them into three. Um, so you know where he's talking about about faith and kind of it challenges the way that we tend to think about faith in Christian circles, like the way we talk about faith as well. And um, you know, when you're looking at it and going, "Yes, you know, you there are there are disciplines, there are spiritual disciplines that are part of the Christian life." And holding on to, you know, holding on to the things that you know with your mind, even if your emotions are all over the place, you know, to be able to hold on to that as, as almost as an anchor. Um, and then to kind of, uh, yeah, it, it totally grounds this idea of talking about faith as belief in God. Like it's this big airy fairy thing. He's like, no, no, no. Faith, faith is practical. Yeah. Faith is is grounded, you know, this is, it deals with doubt. It, it is big enough to be able to handle all of the, the ups and downs and the chaos that go on around you because it's real. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the book has a lot in it. I mean, we can go on forever talking oh. about <laughs> the different <laughs> things that, I mean, God doesn't have favourites and then he explains why God doesn't have favourites. Um, just to give a brief overview, I hate mentioning things and then not finishing it off. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, um, he uses this fantastic Go and read the book. That's what we're yeah. saying. Go and read the book. <laughs> but he uses this fantastic analogy. He compares God to sunlight, right? That imagine mm. it's not that God has favorites, it's that God cannot reveal himself fully to people who are, um, have character. F- well, well, let me just. I think is whose mind and character is in the wrong condition. Uh-huh. And then he uses the example of um, sunlight. That sunlight doesn't choose where it falls, right? It just falls. But it looks better or there's a better reflection in a clearer mirror than in mm-hmm. a cloudy or dusty mirror. And that's the same with God. It's not that he has favorites. It's more that the state of the person that is receiving from God is different. Mm-hmm. I mean, a mind blowing really. And then he said something, another thing about christian society that i thought was amazing that we all everybody um, wants a christian society we all say as christians we want a society that is christian but actually when we say that what we actually mean is we want a politician who looks like our type of christianity Uh and that is the reason why Uh when somebody else comes with a different perspective from Christianity we argue and we never come to a realization the realize we never come to a Christian a totally Christian society Uh and he says that in order for us to ever get to that society in the first place all of us have to want it and in that wanting it it isn't our um our view of a Christian society in inverted commas it is actually accepting that we may be wrong in some of our understanding and interpretations of Christianity uh-huh. and that someone else might be right. And it's uh-huh. how do those all marry together to get this Christian society that we're looking for? And I just found that to be, again, mind blowing, but yeah, <laughs> that's me. Uh, well, and you know, it does come back to um, 
you know, again, there's we could talk about it so much in the book. Mm. Um, but the there's the chapter that starts off with the question: Is Christianity hard or easy? Yeah. yeah. Like, is it hard or easy? Both. Yeah. You know, <laughs> essentially, it's both because you know it's not so much about how do I keep some time for me and some time for God and you know um it's not so much about self-care you know we're hearing a lot about self-care yeah. you're like no Christ Christ says all give me all this is it's a whole life thing um you know it's it's gonna mean your entire life is going to change you can't be Christian in one part of your life yeah it's all-encompassing it terminates everything it's all. Yeah. yeah and um you know the uh the the phrase I mean, you could you could have written this phrase today um or the the section today and it's the um the almost impossible thing is to hand over your whole self all your wishes and precautions to christ but it's far easier than what we are all trying to do instead for what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time be good. We are all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly, chastely, and humbly. Yeah, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, the real problem of Christian life comes where people don't usually look for it. It's the very moment you wake up each morning. Yeah. When all the things that you want to do come rushing at, yeah. they just come rushing at you. And what are you going to do with them? Yeah, this is it. So um, what would you, I mean, we've spoken a lot about what's in the book. So I think people yeah. have a good idea about that. But what would you say um, is what Christians may find challenging about this book? As in, it might make people think, oh, uh, no that's wrong not your personal challenges but overall the church the body Just of christ um only criticism is people might criticize the book here i suspect um some of them are going to be the criticisms that uh he actually references at the beginning you know where you've got people from different denominations that are going to say it's not enough there's not enough about faith there's yeah. not enough about sacraments there's not enough about this there's not enough about that um, so each denomination can bring their own perspective on what they think it's missing. I think the other thing that is really important to remember is that C.S. Lewis was a great thinker and a great writer, but he was a layman. Yeah. He was a layman in the Church of England, and he was, you know, very unapologetic about going, look, I'm I'm just I'm just one of you <laughs> and in doing that he there are certain things that he phrases quite particularly from a kind of Church of England standpoint um when he's talking about even when he's introducing the virtues so when he's introducing the cardinal and theological virtues and and all of those kinds of things there's language that's used that seems stated um, and it would be very easy to kind of skim over, you know, skim over a chapter on uh, the three parts of morality. Yeah. And you look at the title and you're like, oh, well, the three parts of morality. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm. right. Th that chapter was quite deep, actually. 
it's amazing. It's, but we, it's we amazing. Can't, we can't but digress. Like this one, you're like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that, that chapter was deep, but we, we can't um, digress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that when he's going into, um, in book four, particularly in book four, you know, you're getting into some, some quite difficult and some quite deep thing. I mean, they're all deep anyway, but, you know, looking at it and going, how do we talk about time and beyond time? Um, you know, that's one of those ones that... Another fantastic piece. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Every single chapter has got so much in it. I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever managed to read through the book without putting additional sticky notes in. Um, you know, sticky notes in or, um, you know, stopping and writing down, you know, writing down a, a, a phrase and then just kind of sitting and, and thinking about that and having to try and in many cases having to try and pray through it because it's something that I'm going this is actually personally challenging yeah um I think there are people who would potentially be put off by the fact that it was you know written in the 40s and 50s Mm -hmm. who would say well it's written by a middle-aged white man in (laughs) middle-aged white man in from an incredibly kind of upper middle class privileged educated background which means what could he possibly have to say to me in my situation and I think there are people who would who would not he would not actually pick it up <laughs> yeah yeah um I would say reading it that one of the criticisms that more purist a more purist view may take is there aren't that many verses of scripture in it yes and yeah yeah yeah. even when there are um it's quite you have to know the bible to know that this is a verse of scripture so he doesn't actually say this is from john 3 16 or yeah romans 1 16 or something like that he just makes his point using the verse um he's not he's not great at things like footnotes yeah he doesn't he's just yeah. He doesn't footnote anything. He just so talks I think yeah. So I think that would be a, a <laughs> that would be a, a, a critique that I think a modern Christian would have. Yeah. But what I would may say to that is, I in the first uh, in the first book at least, I think he is trying to argue the position of God without independent of Christianity that there is an argument for God, irrespective of Christianity. So that's why he may not. Um, use verses in that there and I also think it goes back to the point that he's trying to win a type of person and that type of person does not or may not hold the bible as an authority so quoting it um so let me let me not use I'm being careful with my words because the scriptures are clear (laughs) 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 and the word of God is the power to salvation and it's quick and powerful yeah and we know like like let's not let me not say anything contrary to we're, that we're, we're yeah. not saying we're not saying anything about scripture being unnecessary or yeah. anything like no, that no, 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 that's, no. Not, that's not what's being <laughs> we're said both here. biblical studies people <laughs> um but i think what he's what he's trying to do is as paul said become a jew to the jews mm-hmm. or there's another verse where he says um I think it's Romans 1 14 where he talks about reaching both the educated and the uneducated Mm -hmm. so I think C.S. Lewis is 
talking from the trying to encourage or speak to somebody like he was he may not necessarily think that there is anything to offer in the bible um but that even if you don't agree that there's anything to offer in the bible there is some logic and reasoning towards um the notion of god and then when he does start bringing in christian doctrine and ideals he does make reference to uh-huh. verses um as i said it's not overtly there you just have yeah. you'd have to know um that that's what it's about and i also want to say that in a number of places in the book because just in case people are thinking that this is all about argument <laughs> there are a number of places in the book where c.s lewis is quite clear like paul told timothy that actually you should refuse unlearned and unwise questions like questions where people are wasting your time just to make arguments for argument's sake he does actually say that if people think that heaven is this this and this and they don't understand that some of the bible is literary um, using literary devices then they should just exit themselves from this argument or from this discussion they should not read books that are for grown-ups like he's quite clear (laughs) (laughs) or he says that some people just say um um they just negate your argument just to waste your time those types of people that's not who I'm talking to when I'm trying to um bring across my argument so there is the point that yes he is trying to reason with people but it's not um unnecessary or ongoing or long drawn out discussions yeah Um, absolutely and I think that's um that's one of the things that I find really helpful in it as well because it's so easy having studied theology having you know been in different churches being a pastor's kid you know all of that kind of thing it it can become really easy for me to get on a well in this book and in this book and then when we talk about this and this is the background of this and this is the background of that and the person who's looking at me with no background with no experience with no real familiarity with uh no real familiarity with uh, the Bible or real familiarity with a lot of the different writers in, in different theological fields of thought or so on just kind of looks at me slightly blankly and I have to stop and go right how do I filter out the sort of Christianese jargon and get back to the core well C.S. Lewis managed to do it yeah. so <laughs> you know Maybe I need to be a little bit more, a little bit more willing to trust in God's sovereignty and recognize that he's at work in the minds and hearts of people that I'm speaking to. And I still need to be clear in my answers. I still need to be clear in responding. And and particularly if somebody has a real, a real question rather than just trying to make an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I be clear in responding in a way that says, well, actually, at the end of the day, it's about Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's, it's one of the reasons why I like C.S. Lewis's writing, um, because there's an accessibility and there's a realness to it. There's there's an element of that kind of, um, you know, as he's, as he's going through it and he's going, this is the muddled, the muddled attempts of somebody who's trying to make sense of it all as well. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think that's really helpful. Um, ironically it's probably a book that I can see people out with the church being more interested in reading than people in the church 
yeah no but just I mean, as we're wrapping up though I would I would say to anyone who's listening to this that look this is a book for you to a understand what the basics of Christianity are he the guy I'm um, C.S. Lewis I should say uses a lot of analogies that are I mean when you read them it's like oh that's what it means by the Holy Spirit and the yeah. Trinity oh that's what this means okay so that's the first thing so if you are having any doubts about the main doctrines of Christianity the analogies in this book are very simple and straightforward to understand and then, as I said earlier I think that it's a good evangelistic tool as Heather has said that actually this is a book that people who are not saved would find interesting to read um even if not for the content but actually the writing style people okay. will admire admire it for that so if you have people that you know who are quite um logical um and methodical in their way of thought and you struggle to witness to them about Christ I would say this is a very good book to begin to to give to them as a gift we're coming up to Christmas it's a good idea I would say um yeah um just to wrap up Heather we've spoken a lot <laughs> yeah we have really we knew this was going to happen though didn't yeah. we? <laughs> um just on uh, moving on to your like reading habits yeah what would you what would you have been your reading habits? I know a lot of people have struggled. A lot of people struggle to read, right? So that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. What would you say your main are your main reading habits or pieces of advice on developing good reading habits, independent of your theology? Because as a <laughs> for your former philosophy student, I know that there are different techniques. I, I, I'm talking about yeah. personal Christian reading here. Personal Christian reading, yeah. I mean, I I happen to be one of those people who has always been a bookworm. Um, but when it comes to kind of personal Christian reading, uh, one of the, the things that is fairly common is just making space. Um, so I'll make myself a cup of tea. I'll just be in a, in a quiet a quieter space. I quite often have um, my journal or I'll have, you know, some sort of notebook or something because nine times out of 10, if I'm reading through a Christian book, I want to make some sort of notes about it. There will be something that will come across. It may just be a phrase. Um, Mere Christianity is full of them yeah. where you have that are a sentence or a phrase or a paragraph that I want to stop and take more time to think about. Um, I think that's the other thing is give yourself time to to take time. Mm. Uh, I am an obsessive reader. I read constantly and I read very quickly. And when it comes to reading Christian books or books that are for um, discipleship or you know things that I'm reading specifically within the, the realms of how can I how can this build up my faith or encourage, yeah. you know, discipleship or, or that kind of thing. I actually have to force myself to slow down and making notes or um, just pausing and putting the book down and um, maybe speaking the line out loud and, you know, reading that paragraph out loud so that I actually hear it as well as, as well as read it. That's one of the ways that I can then stop and think, okay, now, what are the questions I have about this? Do I have questions about this? Uh, how does this fit with what I've already learned, um, with what I've already read? God, what are you what are you saying in the middle mm. of this? You know, even to be praying while reading, there are times where 
you know, I might take some time and, and read, read alongside my Bible reading or mm-hmm. read alongside, um, you know, as part of my prayer time or part of my kind of quiet time to be able to sit there and go, okay, let's, let's read a chapter out of this. Let's read a chapter out of that. Um, there are books that I go to because they happen to follow a theme, something that I happen to be wrestling with at that particular time, or um, if there's a, a topic that I want to kind of dig into a little bit more, maybe it's something that's come up in my reading and I think, actually, I feel like I need more, I, I need to know more about this, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. this has raised something that I need to think about, uh, then that might take me off again. Okay. Uh, so then do you read like well you said you you're an avid reader but does that mean you read every day or do you carve out time to actually do this personal Christian reading it depends um one of the things that I am consciously aware of is that I can very easily be distracted by lots of the other stuff that's going on with life and not take time to read okay I think that's like everybody yeah just like everybody um you know I might be an avid reader but that doesn't mean that I necessarily always want to sit down and read something that's going to make me have to think yeah Yeah. (laughs) if I'm honest there are times where I can go you know weeks or months without picking up a Christian book that's going to make me think because my brain is just fried and I'm just done and I'm like I I actually no (laughs) I just can't right now ironically every time I do pick up a book like picking up mere Christianity to reread it again for this was you know being able to sit down and go actually yeah I I need to take more time to kind of read these books again um and to not just be overwhelmed by the rest of life sometimes it's a case of getting an audiobook you know you can find the likes of mere christianity ironically you can find it on youtube mm. you know you can find an audiobook version on youtube and just listen to it if if that's something that you want to do um okay it's, so it's quite I a lot it, i think it does depend on on who you happen to be sometimes okay. sometimes an audiobook works for me because i can you know try and <laughs> try and and actually deal with some of the life stuff like cleaning my house yeah it doesn't happen if I'm just sitting reading a book and drinking a cup of tea <laughs> <laughs> yeah I get that um and do you have a um favorite Christian author Oof. um well C.S. Lewis obviously okay. okay um virtually everything that he's ever read or ever read ever written <laughs> uh is something that has value to it whether it's the um whether it's the you know fantasy of the chronicles of narnia or the science fiction of the the space trilogy um which if you happen to be an interest if you happen to have an interest in science fiction um you probably have never heard that c.s lewis wrote science fiction and (laughs) and he wrote about planets um but again that trilogy asks some bigger questions about kind of the meaning of life and and creation and so on um screw tape letters the, the uncomfortable quality of the screw tape letters yeah. um but also his essays yeah um i i love some of his essays in how incisive they are um and how very practical they are mm-hmm. some of them are extraordinarily practical 
and you read them and you're like, oh, that is uncomfortably accurate <laughs> for today. Okay, moving on. Next. Um, there are uh, there are other people that I can think of. Oh, that's, 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 that's good. One is okay. But, and, but yeah, one, one is okay. One is probably <laughs> a good place to start. He and then a very wide catalogue. <laughs> and the last question is, um, do you have any other books other than Mick Christianity, um, other Christian books that you would recommend to our audience? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, one of the ones that I found to be a fairly defining one in my own sort of story and journey is The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom, um, which is just extraordinary in terms of tracing her life um, and under German occupation mm. and then in concentration camps and uh, her own journey in the messiness, <laughs> the messiness of her journey. Mm. Um, uh, one of the other ones that, and I know this, this sounds uh, like a, a, a particular um, particular side of Christianity, I used to talk about this one quite a lot, uh, which was Wild at Heart. Uh, Wild at Heart was one that I read. Uh, John Eldridge. Yeah. That's it. So Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Um, again, it's one of those ones that is, uh, it's an interesting book because he has a particular, a particular American Christian perspective, uh, American evangelical Christian perspective. Um, but Wild at Heart, although the, although the subtitle on it is discovering, um, uh, discovering the secret of a man's soul really there's a lot about it that's just about humanity okay. and about living about living a life that is actually about living an adventure with God um, and so I found it really uh, far better personally I found it far better than the parallel book which is um, captivating which was meant to be uh, addressed to a woman's perspective I was like yeah that's fine <laughs> but um you know wild at heart is wild at heart or a sacred romance he wrote both of them uh one of the others is um a book called life with god um and which is by richard foster it's uh about reading the bible for or the, the subtitle on that one is reading the bible for spiritual transformation okay um and great 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 book um he also wrote the uh he wrote a book on spiritual disciplines mm -hmm. which was i think that was his first kind of big blowing up book and again when it comes to things like addressing spiritual disciplines it's amazing how much we don't like talking about that yeah reading about that um so those are some of them uh, there are books on lament written by Michael Card. Um, and I think lament is really important just from a, a this is actually probably a totally different tangent. We might need to have this conversation in another podcast. Um, but lament is so important. And Michael Card has written very, very well about you know, kind of how you cry out to God when nothing makes sense. Yep. Um, you know, when life is hard, when when there's pain, when there's suffering, and how important that is. So, um, yeah, Michael Card's book on lamentus okay. is really good as well. There you go. 
Well, thank you so much for your time, Heather. It's been great. Um, a bit longer than we thought it was going to be, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> Hey-ho. <laughs> it is what it is. Thanks so much. As you can tell, Heather and I could have spoken about mere Christianity for days, to be honest. If you've never read mere Christianity, I hope you've made that purchase already. If you have read it, I hope you're considering rereading it again at some point this year or getting it as a gift for someone. I think you heard me mention Christmas in the recording. It might be a bit early for that, but I think you get the point. You can find the link to Mere Christianity and all the other books Dr. Major recommended on my website, www.jeancapisomi.com slash podcast. That's www.jean, Kabasomi, K-A-B-A-S-O-M-I dot com slash podcasts. If you are interested in connecting with Heather or finding out a bit more about her research interests, you can connect with her on LinkedIn. If you like this episode, could I please encourage you to do four things? Firstly, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Second and thirdly, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, Podcast Addict, Audible or somewhere else. It really helps the algorithms get the podcast into the hands of other potential listeners. And lastly, can I ask you to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested in hearing about good Christian books? Well, that's all from me. Thanks for listening. God willing, I'll be back next week. Until then, keep reading and seeking the Lord. God bless. Bye.